You're listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded September 28, 2015. Body Renovation. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Glad you are listening wherever you may be. We're continuing our series on renovation. We started off this series talking about some inner realities. We talked about our mind, how we think, our thought life. Then we moved and we talked about our feelings. And then last week we talked about the renovation of our will as the will is what we actually put out into the world. And today we're talking about our body. And so the renovation is a two-way street. It's not just our feelings and our thoughts and our will that needs to be renovated, but also our body because what our body consumes actually affects our spirit. It's a two-way street. Now, our bodies are fascinating because our bodies are the only vehicle we have to experience life. And our bodies are incredible the way they are designed. I think one of the reasons why when we get sick or we get injured, why sometimes we feel a little depressed or we're down is because it prohibits us. We feel limited into the way we can experience life. When our bodies aren't working and functioning properly, it's harder to experience the goodness and joys of life. Over the last uh, few months, I've been uh, working on my distance running. Now, I hate running. I I do not like it. It's not fun. Um, I don't know why people do it, but I've been trying to discipline myself for health reasons to um, be able to run longer distances and I know it's good for me and so I started off uh, here in the country all our um, streets are half mile and one mile um, increments and so if you do go around the block it's three miles and so I started off by doing three miles and I couldn't run the whole thing and then eventually I got to the point where I can now run the whole three miles no problem after that, then I moved to four miles, and it was hard to do four miles, and now I can run four miles, and then I went to five miles, and then just this last week, I did my first 10K. I ran six and a half miles, and at the, and I and I pushed all the way through it. I ran the whole thing, didn't stop, and I was so proud of myself. Um, I was so proud of what my body had accomplished, and then after a few hours, I had finished. I had rehydrated. My feet began to hurt, and particularly my left foot, and I think I stress fractured something, and so I've been limping the last few days, you know, and and when my feet hurt, I feel like I can't do anything. Everything is harder. Everything is a chore. Uh, just on Saturday when I came out to, to mow the lawn, and I'm pushing the lawnmower, and just every step, like, just hurt, every step. And, and one of the things is, like, I feel like I'm not experiencing life to the fullest. I actually enjoy mowing the lawn. I love the look of my grass when it is freshly cut and all even and looking nice. I enjoy that. But, but having my ailing foot, I enjoyed it a little less. Some of you guys know uh, Greg and our congregation who had a concussion. 
and uh, it's it was a really serious concussion, and that happened way back in July, and he's still healing from it. And I know some of the frustration that he has experienced is just how limiting it is when you're in that healing process. See, our bodies matter because they're the vehicle and how we can experience life. Outside of that, we can't experience life outside of our bodies. And so I believe our bodies, while they are physical, they are also spiritual. We can't separate the two. We can't, we can't isolate our bodies and do whatever we want with our bodies and think that it doesn't affect our soul. One of the other fascinating things about our body, bodies is that we have the ability to liberate energy. Just like when you pour gas into a car, the car uses the gas and turns the gas um, its energy source so it can propel the car forward. It liberates the energy out of the gas so that the car can move forward. The same thing happens with us. We can liberate energy out of objects for the use of our body. And I'm thinking about food. I love food. That's one of the reasons why I need to run is because I like food. And particularly, I love breakfast burritos. I absolutely adore a high-quality breakfast burrito. Now, there are a few things in a breakfast burrito that really matter. Um, and it might sound silly, but it's it's kind of basic burrito-making etiquette. But the, the ingredients of the burrito need to be evenly distributed throughout the burrito. So you don't take a bite and you get a mouthful of potato or you don't get a mouthful just egg, but the cheese, the eggs, the sausage, the hash browns in your breakfast burrito need to be evenly distributed. And the great thing about a breakfast burrito is we, we, we eat it and then our body uses it for energy. Maybe a breakfast burrito, maybe it's not the best um, example because oftentimes I feel like I need a nap after a breakfast burrito. But our body has the ability to take food and use it for energy. It's only through our bodies that we can liberate the energy in other objects. Today I want to talk about two ways our body matters. We're going to look at two different scriptures because our bodies are fascinating. Our bodies are powerful and they matter. They matter to God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. And as you turn there, if you have your Bibles, you probably have recognized this passage and it's talking about the part of our body, the tongue. Now, when I was a youth pastor, one of the object lessons I would do is when I talk about this passage, I, I would get a brown paper bag and put a cow tongue inside and I would invite students to come forward and put their hand in the brown paper bag and, and feel what's in it and then have to guess what's in the brown paper bag. And, and kids would put their hands in kind of reluctantly and, and you know, it's, it was always cold, a little squishy, but rough at the same time. And, and most of the times the kids could never guess, except one time I did this exercise with a group of students. The very first kid who came up, put his hand in the bag, and without even hesitating, he knew exactly what it was. So, oh, that's a cow tongue. 
And it kind of ruined the lesson because usually this would go on 10, 15 minutes and the kids, they would have all these wild, crazy ideas what they thought was in the bag. But he knew exactly what it was. He's like, yeah, my mom makes cow tongue soup all the time. And it wasn't a big deal. Um, so we're talking about the tongue. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell." James, he's writing to people and they're having problems controlling their tongue. And what's interesting is that he he believes that the tongue controls the whole body. Somebody who's never at fault in what they say is able to keep their whole body in check is what he says in verse 2. And what's interesting is the beginning of something always starts with words, doesn't it? We can go back to Genesis and how does God create? It begins with God speaking. But the same way is with us. You know, we create with our words. The beginning of something always starts with our words. Violence doesn't start with violence, but it always starts with words. Our tongue, though small, often guides our whole bodies. And James compares it to a ship, right? A ship has a small rudder in comparison to the size of the sails, but yet that small little rudder can turn the ship left or right. One of, or he gives this analogy of a fire. Um, if you've ever been up into the mountains, I love going up to the sequoias, and seeing these massive, huge sequoia trees that are hundreds of feet tall and thousands of feet high. They're just incredible, especially when you stand next to one and you feel so small. It's just incredible. But what's amazing is that we have the power with a small spark, with a lighter that fits into the palm of our hands can destroy a whole forest, can destroy trees that are thousands of years old, hundreds of feet high. And our tongue is the same way. It has the ability to destroy. It has the ability um, to wipe out massive the things that are massive in size, all with the words that we speak. We have this phrase that we use in our culture. We'll say something like, someone loses their temper. 
we talk about losing their temper like like losing their car keys or uh, you know misplacing their wallet. But in fact, when we're saying somebody loses their temper, temper, what we're actually saying is that they are losing their temper to something. And that something that they're losing their temper to is their body. Right? It's no longer this internal thing, but when they lose their temper, that means that their knuckles are white, their eyes are bulging, their muscles are flexed. Somebody becomes angry. They lose their temper to their body. See, words create and words steer our bodies and move our bodies. And for James, the tongue is a part of our body and it matters. We've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's a complete lie, isn't it? Because words create, words are powerful, words often dictate how we use our bodies. But you know what? I've also found that our tongue can actually be a place, something that is very positive. Words can inspire us. Words can move us. Words can change what we do with our bodies. Some of you guys know that I have a tattoo um, on my left arm, and it's Ezekiel 37.5. And, and I have good news. I actually have it memorized. Says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I shall cause breath to enter you so that you might have life. And, and I have that scripture tattooed onto me is because those words speak life to me. It, it's kind of my mission, my purpose in life is to speak words that, that, that reflect the words of Jesus that bring the life that Christ brings. That's my mission. That's my goal as a pastor. And so words are powerful. Words can move us and shape us. Words can keep us on mission. One of my favorite people in our congregation is Tony. And Tony was the former pastor at Capay Friends. And she's still part of our congregation. And one of the reasons why Tony's ministry was so powerful, was so meaningful, was that God gave her this ability, this grace, this ease to use words to bless people. She, her words are so encouraging. She encourages people in the Lord. If you've ever been and hung around Tony, people are drawn to Tony because of her words. Her words, bless, they're powerful. And in fact, I imagine that many of you here, what you do with your bodies, what you do with your life have been influenced by the words that have been spoken by Tony. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Our bodies matter. Our bodies really do matter. And I want us to see what Paul says to this church in, in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 15, says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a, pos with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. 
but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul, in this passage, he's evoking his Jewish understanding of marriage. And so one of the things we have to understand about a Jewish wedding ceremony is it would start off kind of looking similar to how we do weddings. There would be the couple and, and maybe a rabbi, and they'd stand under what is called a hoopah, and the hoopah represents the presence of God in their marriage. And they go through the ceremony, but then rather than after the ceremony, you know, we usually take pictures or we go to a reception afterwards. What they would do is that the couple who had just went through the ceremony then enters into a tent where they consummate the marriage. Meanwhile, all your party guests, everybody is waiting. No pressure, right? Aren't, aren't, I think a lot of us here are faithful that that's not, um, that's not our traditions uh, anymore, right? That, a lot of pressure. But what would happen is the Jewish understanding of marriage was that the marriage wasn't official until it was consummated. And so they would go into the tent and they would consummate the marriage. Then the husband would come out and say, it is done. And then the party would begin. They would party for days and sometimes weeks at a time. Then they would have the wedding reception. See, but in Paul's mind, Paul and Paul's thinking that whoever unites their body with somebody, um, that is when it is made official. That is when it is consummated. So Paul uses this idea of, would you unite the members of your body with a prostitute? Of course not. Because the Jewish understanding of marriage, because the two will become one flesh. We have in our time in the world that people often have many sexual partners before they enter into marriage. They, they may have slept with multiple people before marriage and then they decide they find that one person they want to spend their life with. Then they have a ceremony. But the reality is, and maybe in Paul's thinking, is that those people that you have physically been with, physically united with, it's like you're married to them. You've become one flesh. And so people enter into marriages essentially having been married, maybe in the Jewish mindset, multiple times before they decide to get married. And it's as if people have been divorced multiple times, all that baggage being brought into a marriage. And you have to realize maybe that's why our divorce rate is so high. Even among Christians, many statistics say that that the divorce rate among Christians and non-Christians, it's almost indistinguishable. It's all about the same. You have about a 50-50 shot whether it's going to work out. And maybe it's because we have been united with things we have become intimate. We've become one with things we were never intended to. People we were never committed. But then there's good news. It says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And I love this analogy because, because the way that what Paul is saying here is that the same way when a husband and wife comes together, they become one flesh. The same thing happens when we are united with Christ. 
when we are united with Christ, it's not one plus one equals two, but one plus one equals one. The same physical oneness shared between husband and wife is the same oneness the Lord desires with us. And so I think Paul uses this analogy because what he understands is that our physical bodies matter just as much as our relationship with Christ. See, anyone who is married understands how our spouse being married changes us and in that union of marriage there is this dance between the two that somehow this two coming together make one our relationship with christ is the same and then he goes on in verse 19 it says do you not know that your bodies your bodies your physical bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if this Christ who is united with you, this Christ who dwells within you, do you not know that your bodies are a temple? Your physical bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And you were bought with a price. This God came and walked this earth, suffered and died on a cross. His physical body was sacrificed for you. You were bought with a price. And so because Christ dwells within you, because the Spirit of God lives in you, would you unite your body with a prostitute? Of course not. All this to say is that what we do with our bodies has eternal significance. So how do we allow God to renovate our bodies so that we can be formed into the likeness of Christ? Right, because we, what we want is God to, to renovate us. We want to be Christ-like. And how do we allow God to renovate our bodies so that we can be formed into the likeness of Christ? I want to give us some very simple ways that we can do this. The first is that we must actually release our body to God. Romans 12 uh, 1 says that our bodies are living sacrifices, so I want to do an exercise right now on the podcast. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want you to just pause um, and, and take some time to reflect. I'm going to list off parts of your body, and I want you to, to release it to God. Say, God, use my feet. God, take my hands. All right? So just pause whatever you're doing. If you're driving, pull over on the side of the road. Don't do this while you're driving. And I just want us to release our body to God. So I'm going to just list off parts of our body. The first part is our feet. Lord, would you cause our feet to go the places where you want us to go?
next part of our body, our hands. Lord, use our hands to build and create for your kingdom. Let's focus on our ears. Lord, would you open our ears to hear you speak. May we hear the cries of the oppressed. Next part of our body, our eyes. Lord, help us to see the things that you see. Open our eyes to the ways you are moving in this world. Next part of our body, our mouth. Lord, may the words we speak reflect your glory. May the words we say proclaim your majesty. Amen. We must actually surrender and release our body to God. The next way that we can allow God to renovate our bodies so that we can be formed into Christ's likeness is we have to no longer idolize our bodies. See, oftentimes we, we make our bodies the object of ultimate concern. We only want to care for our bodies only as it serves God's purposes in our life. See, you don't need to worry what will happen to it when we get sick or aging or death. God's in charge of that. And you can see how we have all sorts of ways that we try and we we try to idolize the body. We have plastic surgery, Botox, and facelifts, and tummy tucks, and all those things we do because we, maybe we idolize the body in an unhealthy way. We're not supposed to worry about it like that. Don't worry about sickness and aging and death. God is in charge of that. The third third way we can allow God to renovate our bodies so that we can be formed into the likeness of Christ is we can't misuse our bodies. 
So you do not use it as a source of sensual gratification. And you do not use it to dominate or manipulate others. See, bodily pleasure is not itself a bad thing. In fact, God created this gift for us to experience pleasure through our bodies. It is truly a gift from God. But when it becomes exalted to a necessity and we become dependent, then we are slaves of our own body. And when we become slaves to our own body, to those addictions, to those feelings that, that we feel through our bodies, misery is always going to lie ahead. See, we do not need to use our bodies to elicit sexual thoughts, feelings from others. We do not try to be sexy. We can be naturally attractive without any of that. We can't misuse our bodies. We can't become addicted to the way our body feels. One of the other ways that we can misuse our body is overwork. It's it's kind of our drug of choice. And here, uh, here in Capay, this is a farming community. So a lot of people here actually live where they work. The where their houses are is where they work. And so when you wake up in the morning, work is always just outside your front door. Um, I've been a pastor for a handful of years and have lived in parsonages for probably actually the last six years. And, and the thing about the parsonage is it's right next door to the church and that's a blessing and a curse. In fact, just a few months ago, my wife and I, we actually moved our bed in our master bedroom because uh, the <laughs> my side of the bed, when the windows are open, we like having the windows open so a breeze can come through, but actually our windows look right out to the church. So every time I wake up in the morning, I can always see the church and what's waiting for me. And, and sometimes it could be a place that we're overworked. It's so easy just to work. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. How many of us, we just said, oh, if I just keep on working, if I just keep on going, if I just keep on working, then I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to gain this. And what Psalm 127.2 says you do it all in vain for God grants rest to those he loves. You see, the body is to be properly and honored and cared for. And I want us to see this in the context of Sabbath. Um, and what's interesting is in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the fourth commandment. But I want us to hear the other three that come just before. The first um, commandment is, says that you are to have no other gods before me. The second one says to have no other graven images. And the third one is do not misuse the name of the Lord. And then the fourth one is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. See, what's fascinating is that what God knows is we experience Sabbath, we experience rest, we experience peace, is when we practice those previous three, when we have no other gods before us. When there are no other gods before us, when God is God, when there's no other images that we're striving for, that we're trying to please, that we're trying to take on ourselves. And then when we don't misuse God, when we don't try to justify our actions for God, then what happens 
is we actually experience Sabbath. We actually experience rest. We experience peace. Because Sabbath is all about the re-energizing, the nourishment of our bodies. It's taking that moment to rest. Do not work this day. Don't work for those other things. Take rest in God. See, Sabbath is just the fulfillment of the previous three. When we practice those other three, we live lives of Sabbath and we honor our body. See, the real power of life lies in who we are as redeemed people and how our behavior is caught up in that. And our bodies matter tremendously to kingdom work. What we do with our bodies, the words that come out of our mouth that create, that move us to action. The way we treat our bodies, what we unite our bodies with matters because what comes, but what our bodies do has a profound effect on our soul. I want to encourage you this week as you go about your day, your week, that you would take time to surrender your body to God and understand that God gifted you with this incredible tool to liberate energy, to create, to build. And God even wants to be honored in our body, through our body. May you go in grace and peace. And may you honor God with your whole self.